By the way, like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> it helps the algorithm. <laughs> Tonight on the Reese Company, it's the Steve Reese birthday extravaganza featuring middle-aged Jim Morrison. Also, a Heather Kovor update. Chris weighs in on the Sesame Place controversy. Our movie of the week of the week, Genesis 2. And a commercial for more sponsors. Yeah, that, that's good. So, it, it, it's Steve's birthday? Yeah. What a kind of anything? Yeah, me neither. Uh, here, I, uh, here's some money. Just, uh, you know, go get him a gift, and, and it'll be from uh, both of us. Yeah, all right, all right. All right. People who really want to have a good time won't come to a slaughterhouse. And we've got entirely too many troublemakers here. Too many uh, 40-year-old adolescents, felons, power drinkers, and trustees of modern chemistry. It's going to change. Be nice. That ain't working. I want you to be nice. That ain't working. And you'll both be nice. <laughs> so much as my uh, wife was a giant... But um, I want you to be nice until it's time to not be nice. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that's the way you do it. <laughs> the Reese Company. Back open at Tempe Genesee, watch the pictures as they travel through your neighbor's Wi-Fi. It's the Rees Company. I'm Steve Rees, the bull of American broadcasting, alongside the great Chris Morganti. And this is my birthday extravaganza spectacular experience. Happy birthday, Steve. Thank you, Chris. And as uh, puppet Jamie Walters alerted you in the intro, uh, we have a lot planned for tonight. Yeah, it's a packed show. Yeah, so uh, we're just going to get uh, started on this right now. And I want to jump into uh, the Heather Kovar update. I would love a Heather Kovar update. Now, last week we talked about Heather Kovar. Uh, she's a, a news anchor, or was a news anchor, yeah. in Albany, New York. She was uh, fired, uh, let go. Uh, she left her position. Yeah, After, it's a kind of did she resign or was she fired type of deal. We all know how that works. Well, I have more information about that. Okay. Um, she says uh, she was fatigued. Right. Other folks were saying she was drunk on the air. but. Yeah. No, go ahead. But there's one fact that uh, nobody is debating that we overlooked. I did point out that after she was suspended for her behavior, she claimed she declined a contract renewal. Mm. And that contract was up at the end of July. I suggested that was the decision the station, not Heather, made after she became the talk of the industry for slurring her words and rambling during a live newscast. But she apparently made that decision herself and before the incident. So if she was not experiencing fatigue, as she's claimed, and she was indeed intoxicated, it may have been a case not of irresponsibility, but of senioritis. I'm not following you. She was already on her way out. You know how uh, people, when they're in 12th grade... Oh, they see, sometimes uh, get lax at I'm, the end of the final semester. I do. I confuse senioritis with senility. Oh, no, but no, no, no. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, your last semester of school. 
So that may have been the case. She may have been celebrating early, and uh, whether she was fatigued or did get drunk on that day, uh, best of luck to Heather Kovar. You are always welcome on our platform. Well, now, wait. I'm, I'm still a little bit confused here. She has another job offer? She does not have another job offer. Uh, as far as I know, uh, according to her, she declined her contract renewal prior to the incident that made waves among the media. Can I propose an alternate hypothesis? Absolutely. She had another job offer. That's why she turned down the offer in Albany. And once they saw her drunken it up on the air, that other offer got rescinded. Oh. So who knows? Heather, call in. Let us know what's going on. Yeah, let us know. And uh, join us here sometime. So, Chris, you brought some audio. Well, there's a controversy going on at the uh, Sesame Place right now. Now, Sesame Place is, I would call it a theme park, not an amusement park. Yeah, I mean, it's for young children, you know. It's, it's not of interest to people yeah. our age. So most people like who go there are not amused. Uh, I wouldn't. Well, I know some people were very not amused, and those are the people complaining of racial harassment by the character Rosita. Okay, uh, I'm not familiar with Rosita. Rosita's like this giant, well, it's like any of them. It's like a Muppet, like Big Bird or something, you know? All right. And she was walking down, and some, some African-American girls wanted like a high five or a hug, and Rosita just blew them off. Now, that sounds odd to me, because Rosita does not sound like, uh, it sounds like a, an Hispanic name. Okay, where are you going with this? Well, I'm saying uh, people are claiming racism. Hispanic people can't be racist? Oh, they can be, but uh, they're not often uh, accused of it. Well, they are in this case. And, and I got to back these people up with this because a few years ago, I took my nephew to Sesame Place. And, uh, he, you know, he was getting high, the high fives from uh, Big Bird, Bert and Ernie, you know, all of them. When Rosita came around, she lifted her leg and pissed right in my nephew's face. <laughs> And now, naturally, I complained about this, yeah. right? And then the next day, I get this voicemail. Hey, Capron, I heard you've been talking about me. Well, you better shut your mouth or I'll show up there and slice your stomach open and everyone will see the five hoagies you had for lunch, you fat f***. I mean, I think it's time for Rosita's reign of terror to end. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm fully behind whatever lawsuits are going on with all this stuff. I agree, and I'm glad you have that piece of evidence to uh, support this cause. Yeah, thank God. Yeah, she sounds like a terror. Yeah. All right, so uh, do you want to get into the movie of the week of the week? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a, you know what, I'll say this is uh, from 1973, a film called Genesis 2, uh, but... Some of, our, some of the movies we watch are very poor video quality and even sometimes poor audio quality. Right. This particular one was remastered. So it's actually uh, like the best quality we've ever had, I think. Uh, we had one that was pretty good. I think it was called uh, Tiffany Amber Thiessen's In a Bra. Was that the name of it? That, that is the name of it. Yeah. That was pretty good. But this is actually even better because it was remastered. And the reason it was remastered is... Uh, it was a Gene Roddenberry pilot he, he, uh, for a potential TV series. And then it got re-released on, you know, VHS or DVD, whatever it was. But now, Gene Roddenberry, uh, he's best known as uh, the creator of Star Trek. The creator of Star Trek, yeah. And so for that reason, it didn't surprise me that he chose this film. I'm a, I, I'm a bit of a Star Trek fan, yeah. Uh, a, a bit of a Star Trek fan. 
Yeah, I like I like the original one, and I like the one with Picard. Uh, and I really don't watch any of the other ones, but you know, yeah, I do like it. Are you yeah. a Trekkie or a Trekker? Uh, I don't know what the, I don't even know what the difference is. Well, I plan to ask you this, but I wanted to make sure I knew what I was talking about, so um, okay. I decided to look into the difference, and the answer became clear as to which one you are, according to internet consensus. A Trekkie is a Star Trek fan who is obsessed with the show. <laughs> With the all-in zealotry of a high-end, uh, high, uh, high, uh, high, uh, high, uh, high, yes, 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 <laughs> high-functioning autistic. Oh, uh, yeah, that's not, I mean, that's not me at all. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's a major subset of that uh, subculture. Yeah, I mean, it's well documented the, that people sometimes get a little bit obsessive about the show. Here's why you're a Trekker. Okay. You like the show. Yeah. Like other Trekkers, you like the show from what you remember. Now, you may own a T-shirt that says you better trek yourself before you wreck yourself. Oh, that's good. But you otherwise live a full life. And Well, my- no. No, I don't. But it has nothing. To- <laughs> it's not st- Star Trek is not the thing preventing me from living a full life. So, in, in my uh, expert medical opinion, you're a trekker. By the way, in reference to the film we're going to talk about tonight, Genesis 2, I'm wearing my Trick of the Tail T-shirt. So, if you can figure out how this relates to the title of our movie of the week of the week, smash that like button and drop a comment down below. Yeah. Just like, uh, just like, just like Dick Cavett used to say. Yeah. Yeah. He said that all the time. <sighs> yeah. If you do that, we may have a, you know, a prize. Maybe, maybe we'll mail you something or something. I don't know. Well, let, let's, let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's not make any promises. <laughs> And as you said, uh, like other TV films we've discussed, uh, most notably The City and Viper, this was indeed created to be a pilot. Yeah. It was never picked up, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dive right into it. There, now, because this is, uh, you know, Gene Roddenberry, it's science fiction. Yeah. Right? So, because of that, there's a, a bit more beginning exposition than you would get with the, the other films that we watch. Yeah. So this first clip is like, you know, 45 seconds of exposition that you need to understand the show. And it's done in a, a voiceover, which, you know, I know is kind of like a, there's like a difference of opinion whether or not you should be using voiceover, you know, uh, as part of your film, you know, thing. And you know what I think the argument is there? Show us. Don't tell us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it's been done well. Like Goodfellas is a good example of, you know, when it's done right. right. Uh, and I think Gene Roddenberry in the original Star Trek, he came up with a novel way of doing it because the, the episode would start with Captain's Log and he'd be reading something that, you know, you're familiar with that, right? Uh, not really. Well, he would, but I, I know the term Captain's Log. Yeah, it'd be like Captain Kirk reading his log entry, his captain's log entry. Yeah, it, um, it kind of uh, sets the scenario for what you're about to see. Exactly. Uh, this is not done in the same way, but, you know, we're going we're gonna to see it. Okay. And the man who's doing the narration is the guy we're about to see in the chamber. Yeah, the uh, protagonist. Yeah. the 
development of a form of suspended animation which would allow our astronauts to make longer voyages through our solar system. It had been my decision that our method was ready to test on a human, so it seemed that any risk should be mine too. I had guided the basic research since being appointed chief of the project on February 14, 1979. I arrived from Washington, D.C. on the newly completed underground sub-shuttle. Perhaps my confidence in our experiment dated from that trip. Yeah, so there you go. You get the basic gist of it, right? He's yeah. about to be put in a hyperbolic chamber and uh, put down for a few days to reemerge uh, the same whatever. Yeah, whatever. Uh, unfortunately, there was a problem. The, the the doctor was Conrad Murray? Uh, possibly. But uh, there, was, there was an additional problem, if that were the case. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we'll see that in the next one. Found to work as well. By every measurement we knew of, the experiment should have gone perfectly. What we did not know was that a fault, a flaw, existed in the rock strata directly over our heads, and that the slightest ground tremor would be enough to dislodge it. Well, there you go. So now you see they're setting up like a Rip Van Winkle type of thing. Right. And I would actually describe this as uh, Buck Rogers meets Planet of the Apes. Accurate. Yeah. That's kind of what, what this whole thing is. So, uh, Can we also say uh, this aired in 1973? The scene we just watched takes place in 1979. Right. So uh, by this time, uh, and all the people we've seen so far, they're all employees of NASA. Right. Who have already put a man on the moon. But can't get a hold of a tectonic map. Yeah. There's, there's a bit of uh, discrepancy in between the technology that they should have and what they actually have. Uh, we'll find out later that they actually have full-blown fusion reactors. <laughs> in six years after this was made, they anticipated fusion within the next six years, apparently. But I guess that's right because, Steve, you know... We've been hearing our entire lives that fusion was six years away. Right, right, right. And they're still saying that right now. In six years, we'll have fusion. Yeah, and, so, and, and yeah. the killer bees will be here yeah. around the same time. And that whole, like, thing, that they, the train thing that they were going through? Yeah. That's like the channel or Elon Musk's Hyperloop. Yeah, I think it's more like the Hyperloop. Yeah. But uh, Gene Roddenberry was known for... I'm not hit. I'm not going to give him the credit. The people who wrote for him, I guess, more so. But you know, coming up with things that eventually turned out to be actual things that existed. Right. You know, I believe he did write the screenplay for this film. Oh, there you go. Then, yeah. All right. Well, so he's you know in this uh, what do you hyperbolic chamber? Is that the right word? Yeah, that sounds right. Cryogenic, cryogenic chamber. I'm sorry. That's that. I don't know what the difference is. I don't know. I think hyperbolic, even though uh, some isn't anywhere in the word, I think that involves sleep in some way. Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, cryogenic, I believe, involves uh, being frozen. Oh, yeah, you're, you're probably right about that. All right, well, whatever. He's gone for 
a long time, and we're going to see him wake back up in this next clip. It is the year 2133. Is that Conrad Murray there? (laughs) Possibly. Now, this is a long one, Steve, but uh, notice the background as they're, as they're wheeling him on a gurney or whatever. Sure. All right. There's like Grand Master paintings there. And it's underground. That's why it looks like that. Carlsbad Caverns, yeah. Right. There's some more paintings, you know, some uh, Impressionist stuff. And then uh, you see like a lot, a lot of books. Here. That's why I played this long clip. I wanted you to see what was going on there. Sure. But, uh, only a few more seconds of it. Here's some. You see a school with children singing. All right, and then uh, in this next clip, uh, you know, I, I hate to do it to our fans, but this is just more exposition. Uh, and this is almost two minutes, but uh, it'll pick up after this. Okay, so, well, we want people to grasp the backstory because it, it is very complicated, yeah. but when when this set of events occurs, it, it's going to take a while to explain it to um, people who are unaware. Yeah, and it, after this, it picks up, and you'll understand what's going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. What is this place? They call themselves packs. Peace. To fool others. Actually, they're descendants of the soldiers who made war from here. You keep saying they. You. You're not packs? You must promise not to give me away. I was sent here and pretended to join them so that I can warn others who Pax might attack. This has effects much like the medicines you called for. Going through your old medical books, I discovered how to make their equivalent for mutated plants my people use. So they put you in my care. Mutated. The bomb. There was nuclear war. Yeah, war. It was long ago. It's only history now. What happened? There are some new forms of life. But you'll find nothing to fear. Unless you fear me. I'm a mutant. We Terranians have two hearts. Greater strength. Superior to humans in almost every way. 
It's been said two hearts are better than one, Chris. That's true. That's true. Can we explain about the two belly buttons, what that was all about? Well, it's just two hearts. I don't know. There's a backstory to Gene Roddenberry including that. Oh, okay. When uh, he was doing Star Trek, NBC would complain anytime uh, there was an exposed midriff on an actress and the viewers could see her belly button. That would uh, offend the censors. Mm. And he would be instructed to uh, extricate that footage. So when he was doing this movie for CBS several years later, he got two belly buttons on a single... uh, on a single actress. So he really stuck it to him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that showed them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, so she's a double agent. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, she's gonna, now in this, in this next clip, she's going to take them on a tour of the uh, wherever this thing is. Carl's. Carlsbad Caverns, yeah. I believe, New Mexico. They're, they're living it? underground in the where the Hyperloop thing used to be. Yeah. And uh, watch, watch for the lie she tells in this clip. Communications equipment from the old military storage rooms. Deeper in the caverns, they have armory workshops, gunsmiths. I'll find a way later to show you those. Good Lord, Van Gogh, Botticelli, Rembrandt. Be here now. Incredible. They've looted the whole world. No one is safe from them. Well, they sure show a lot of taste in what they steal. Lyra, when they were wheeling me here, I'm sure I remember hearing singing. Children singing. Perhaps it was a dream you were having. No one sings here without being ordered to. So we, we just saw the children singing in the right. school. Yeah. So, so she's not being honest there. So uh, it makes you wonder, what's her angle? Uh, Well, we'll find out in this next clip. Neither is injured. Yulof now suspects why I'm here. I must leave. Can you get us both out of here? If you're willing to risk it. I was hoping you'd say that. Where are we going? To the freest, most beautiful place on earth, if you wish. Sioux Falls? My city, (laughs) Terrania. Was that it? Yeah, that was it. So, she, uh, her plan is to, she convinced this dude, Dylan Hunt is the character's name, to, uh, Leave Pax and go to Terrania. Yeah, Pax is the name of the race, and they're descended from uh, NASA operatives or uh, astronauts and scientists. Yeah, they're like the people who get who get underground during a nuclear war and get the like those secret bunkers that they have. Yeah. You know, the people that end up surviving the war are supposed to. Uh, so they're they're non mutants. They're regular human beings. Yes, yeah, and she's trained him to see them as enemies. She's deluded him into thinking that they're enemies, yeah. And he just, just dives right in and says, yeah, sure, I'll go with you. And, uh, yeah, so that that's what just happened. And then um, as, as they're escaping, they, they come past something. Jim, if you could just bring up the this, this still shot 
And now, I, Steve, I like when science fiction and like alternate history movies include details like this. This is the whole Hyperloop system that all the people survived the nuclear wars in. And, uh, I mean, that's pretty cool. I, I like stuff like that where they go into that kind of detail, you know? Yeah. Um, so, we, you know, moving on. Uh, as they're making their escape attempt, uh, we encounter the worst security guard in the known world. I think we need to go back a bit for that. No, that was it. That was it? All right. I mean, that guy went down for the count. Have you ever seen a guy go down for a count easier than that? <laughs> He's a tomato can, as they say. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's just like a 120-pound girl that just kind of leaped at him. And, it, oh, he's down. Well, anyway, they escape, and uh, they go to Terrania, uh, which I guess Dylan Hunt, the protagonist, believes will be uh, not as – I don't know what his problem with Pax was. I, she was really feeding him a line, you know? Well, yeah, but she also seduced him into believing that uh, there was this other part of the country yeah. that was uh, freer. And had a constant battle going on against Pax. Yeah. But, yeah, she sold it as being freer. But then we find out in this next clip that uh, Terrania has a peculiar institution. Slave city, Those are new helpers, recently captured. This is what one Pax team is doing. Two of us have already died planning a rebellion. If necessary, all of us will if we can save them. And several thousand like them. So yeah, that's the end there. And, uh, well, those guys talking to Dylan in the scene, they are agents of Pax who yeah. are uh, embedded in Terrania. Right. And they're trying to format a slave revolt because Terrania is based is a slave economy. Yeah. They're taking the other mutants from around the world and forcing them to do their bidding. Um, so now Dylan Hunt has seen the reality of both societies, and he has to make a choice, right? Yeah. So his choice is to, well, we, we forgot we to mention that the whole reason that these two societies are interested in him is because apparently he knows how to fix fusion reactors. Um, which you think would be a lifetime pursuit, but apparently he learned that on the side as he was coming up with the uh, cryogenic hyperbolic chamber, whatever it was. But anyway, that's why they, they want his expertise in fixing fusion reactors because these things have been through a nuclear war and 160 years of neglect, so they need to be repaired. Um, so, so the people of Terrania... Uh, they, in this next clip, they're trying to get him to agree to fix their fusion reactor. You will find it profitless to lie to us, human. Will you repair our nuclear generator? Yes or no? Now you listen to me. I came into your century ill, and that's been used against me very cleverly. But I'm not sick now, and I'm getting tired of being pushed around. You don't understand what All this right, means. All right, pause, Jim. Tell them you'll join us gladly. In a bed. Now, here we're about to see the introduction of what I like to call the uh, taser dildo. Last advice I want from you, Florence Nightingale. Do you think Training she got that reference? 
<laughs> Probably not. Nineteen seventy nine, he might have called her like Hotsy Totsy. Welcome back, Connor. Weird wardrobe choices on this thing too. Express gratitude. It'll be a cold day in hell when I kneel at your feet. Way too much man thought for my tastes. That was the lightest pain setting. There are eight higher. You will take the position of respect. Okay, there's one right there. Okay, never mind. Ignore it. Let him take it back. The position of respect, human. had to use the seventh setting. In the next moment should be even more effective. Now, I don't want to get graphic here, but what do you think just happened? See, the stem is capable of pleasure. Or do you prefer the final level of pain. What uh, what type of pleasure do you think he was talking about there? You think he, uh, eh, you know, whatever. All right. <clears throat> <laughs> well, there's only, uh, we, uh, we got two more clips, right? Okay, it, it is interesting. Uh, this is supposed to take place. Uh, I'm sorry. He was supposed to be put to sleep in 1979. Yeah. He says early in the film, February 14th, 1979, he had this idea on the Hyperloop. I think it was March 1979 when uh, Three Mile Island occurred. Okay. So if, uh, let's say, I don't know, within that same month, he instituted this plan to be um, hermetically sealed, or what what did we decide this is officially called? I don't think we have anything. (laughs) If he made that decision... (laughs) Within a month, his knowledge of um, nuclear <laughs> nuclear energy yeah. may not be up to snuff with what actually uh, matters to the real world. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't uh, up on the latest. Right. Okay, uh, so we're going to see a couple more clips of this. Okay, can we pause, Jim? This is interesting. This is a preview of a Stephen Wright joke that may not be heard for the next, I don't know, four or five years? Oh, okay, great. All right. Love Stephen Wright. About six months ago, I was using this very same circuit. What am I talking about? 154 years ago. <laughs> you know the joke? No. Yesterday, I... Oh, no, that was four years ago. That's the joke? That's the joke. Yeah. I think this might be the uh, genesis, shall we say, of that joke. All right. All right. Uh, is, that, so, is that the whole joke? Yeah. I'm not sure I get it. <laughs> well, uh, he's so uh, disoriented. He's so out there. He's I rocking gotcha. in a free world, Chris. Yeah. So he doesn't, he, he doesn't have a sense of time. I got it. 
All right. All right. So uh, let's see uh, what occurs. Well, Where's this he... next clip is uh, what I like to call the final solution to uh, all the problems that we've seen uh, heretofore. We're all very pleased you're safe, but also very frightened. Primus, I've got to go back. Can we pause? Off the warhead there. Ah, no, not now. Never mind. Generator. But something went wrong. Pause again. The medallion? Okay. Yeah, no, the guy on the right. Oh. He looks like a combination of Lauren Green and Ricardo Montalban. Yeah. And probably a third person. And an interesting taste in jewelry. <laughs> Is that a Sonichi medallion? I don't know. All right. Your only chance now is if I can blow up that missile silo. I'll need a team. First, you must understand a few things about banks. So, yeah, that's the end of the movie. He, uh, the, uh, the people of Terrania were going, they had gained access to nuclear missiles with nuclear warheads, and we're going to launch them at PAX. Uh, so instead, uh, Dylan Hunt set off the nuclear warheads uh, at the nuclear fusion reactor that powered Terrania. And uh, this earned them, this earned this movie an interesting endorsement, uh, as, as we'll see right here. Yeah. This movie ending was approved by Harry S. Truman. <laughs> Very good. So, so there you go. <laughs> we did it. So another thing happens at the end. Dylan, uh, Dylan Hunt, the main character, the guy who was uh, put to sleep and revived, um, he's welcome to stay with Pax under the stipulation that he never takes another human life. They were really put off. Yeah, it's despite it being a nuclear explosion over a fusion reaction, which you got to think is going to... That's going to be a double, double whammy right there. It's going to destroy more than a city-state. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he said it only took a few lives because it's only the people working at the power station. Yeah, yeah. You know, a couple dozen. But uh, they, they didn't take kindly to that at all, despite the fact that it, had he not done that, they, the whole, they would have all died. Yeah, or, all of civilization. Yeah, I, or I don't know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, they don't like, they have a rule that you can't take a life. So, so where do you think, if this had been picked up as a TV show, like where do you see this going? Well, I can tell you exactly where I see this going. Okay. I can see uh, possibly, just kind of conjecturing. Okay. The next year, Gene Roddenberry might do another series. This doesn't get picked up. Well, let's just, uh, alternate history, but uh, this doesn't get picked up. Okay. Okay. Gene Roddenberry creates another series, another pilot, and he calls it Planet Earth. Okay. And it presents a similar scenario. Mm. Humanity in 2133 long after a nuclear conflict, and it shares many of the same plot points. The main character is even called Dylan Hunt. Well, I'm okay. I mean, I guess if the first one didn't get picked up, you could still do that, but okay. But this one, Chris, let's say it also failed. Oh. But let's also say that years after Roddenberry's death, the Dylan Hunt character finally finds success on TV. Hmm as played by Kevin Sorbo in a series called Andromeda, which in actual reality ran for five seasons at the turn of the century. Now, here's a question. Was Andromeda executive produced by Gene Roddenberry? His company. Ah, okay. He was no longer around. So it took what, like 25 years to get this on the air? It took quite a while, yeah. Yeah. What was that, 27? Yeah. All right. Well, I'm... 
I never saw Andromeda, so I don't I don't know. I guess I'll have to look into it to see how this possibly would have worked out. Uh, I I think it had potential, man. Like, had it been picked up in the early seventies, I think it could have maybe been interesting. I don't know. And there was an entire series of planned episodes for uh, what would occur. Oh, okay. And uh, what was her name? Lyra Ah. Right. Uh, she the, the blonde chick with two navels. Yeah, she was going to come back, and uh, she did survive. Yeah, she was in. The, Terrania was not destroyed in the nuclear dis- explosion. Only no, the just the facility. Only their power plant. Yeah. So yeah, which it, as we know about 1979, when this guy was put to sleep, that probably would have happened anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> They just had to pull up a chair, really. <clears throat> okay, uh, so anything else you want to say about this film before we rate it? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I just, I think I'd give it a good rating. You know, like I enjoyed it. Um, I'm a science fiction fan, and it was nice to take a break from the usual uh, girl in distress, um, cop murder mystery type of stuff that we these films usually go into. Right, right. This is made for a male audience, I would say. Whereas most of them are made for a female audience, you know, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but this was made to be a TV series, not a yeah. movie of the week of the week, a sensational movie of the week. Yeah. So I'm going to go with uh, three and a half Meredith Baxters on this. Three and a half. Okay. I think that's pretty generous. Okay. And your reasoning is that it was a departure from what we're used to seeing? I, it, or do you have another? No, I just enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. So. Yeah, I went with uh, three out of five. It was apparent from the beginning that the quality of the storytelling was going to be higher than what we're used to. Yeah. And probably for the same reason, as you said, it doesn't have the similar subject matter that most of these films do. I would have rated it four or five if the story had been more self-contained. We know that's possible in a pilot for a story to be self-contained. In a case like The City, a film we watched before, that was created as a TV pilot. And Viper. Yeah, and, and Viper. An entire story was told. Although Genesis 2 didn't end in a cliffhanger, there was an open-endedness that uh, made the viewer wonder what might happen to this man in the future. Questions that the series, had it been picked up, would have addressed. But as a standalone film, it doesn't work quite so well. Yeah. Now, you know what? I would agree with you on that. Yeah. But we're not far apart. Did you give it three and I gave it three and a half? Yeah. Yeah. So we're, yeah, we're pretty similar. And So a solid three on the strength of the writing from the bull. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with all that. Okay, uh, anything else we didn't talk about you might want to talk about? Well, Steve, it's, uh, it's your birthday extravaganza. Spectacular experience. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, we hadn't, I don't think we've ever done a birthday show for you before. No. I have, I have got... I've hinted around every year. I've hinted around about, uh, hey, it's my birthday. Can't wait to see what you guys have planned for the big birthday show. Can't wait to see who's going to come in. You know, surprises. I like surprises. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those people. Oh, I don't like surprises. Who are those people? Folks mm-hmm. who were taken hostage. I've never been taken hostage. I like surprises. So there are folks who uh, say, uh, oh, I don't like, uh, I like surprises. And I, I would hint around and say, oh, yeah, my birthday's coming up. Can't wait to see what's in store. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. Kelly Clarkson, perhaps? I don't know. Let's find out on the day, shall we? Okay. And then on the show, nothing occurs. Nothing related to my birthday. It's often, uh, well, I don't want to say some of the things that have happened. Well, I'm going to partially absolve myself. Well, birthday shows, but um, yeah. 
I'm going to partially absolve myself and say that uh, prior to a year ago, we were doing an, uh, an ensemble show. So yes. I did yes. not. So, so much. there were more people who could have planned something, and right. nobody ever did. Right. Well, if you remember. Uh, Maybe at the end of the show, someone said, oh, by the way, happy birthday, Bull. Um, but here's the thing. I, I, the reason I've never planned a birthday show for you is because I celebrated another thing that you celebrate, which is your anniversary in broadcasting. Oh, yes, yes. And if you remember, uh, on the anniversary, your 30th year in broadcasting, I got you a nice gift. Do you remember what it was? Yes. It was a poem from a professional poet yeah, yes. <laughs> called 30 Years in Broadcasting. <laughs> yes, I believe it was a street poet in New Orleans, correct? Yes. And I, I paid him, I commissioned him to write this poem for <laughs> you. How, how much was it? Like five bucks? I Something don't like remember. Five, I believe it was five bucks. I think you gave this guy a fiver, and he uh, typed on a typewriter before you. It was a manual uh, typewriter. A, a, a barely legible. Uh, how is this on a typewriter? How is it barely legible? Free verse, by the way. Free verse. Anyway, uh, much as you're doing now, free you, verse. You mocked five bucks. I want. I want things to rhyme. You mocked and spurned my gift. So since then, I have been reluctant to plan anything. However. I am not a man to hold a grudge, even though even though you completely ignored my birthday, not on not this year, but um, I I did forget, and strangely enough, uh, same day as my mother's birthday. Yeah, but I I am not one to hold a grudge or any of that. So once again, I sought the services of a professional in bringing you a birthday surprise. So uh, everyone, middle-aged Jim Morrison. All right. Happy birthday, Steve, and thanks for having me. I'm going to do a little medley for you. I know you like this one. It's called A Salute to Baseball. Hit it! I do one, baby. One and five. I think the Mets are going to take a dive, yeah. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Green grass ebbs against a dirt infield. The crack of the bat and the cracker jack. You bet on the Braves, but they lost to the Dodgers.
West is the best. The American League West is the best. Padres, yes son, I want to kill you. Marlin, I want to. Oh, Yeah, wonderful. That got messy at the end there, but... Uh, it, it did. But well worth it, and I greatly appreciate the gesture. Oh, thank you. And we Unfortunately, we are going to have to air that performance, or cut that performance down quite a bit for uh, our own airtime. But uh, we got to see the whole concert, and man, that was... Uh, Fantastic. That was something, yeah. Fantastic. Hey, guys. Oh, puppet Jamie Waters. How hey, are you? happy birthday, Steve. Thank you, Jamie. Here, uh, here's a gift. It's a wet nap. Oh, uh, from uh, Chick-fil-A. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's from both of us. Oh, fantastic. Well, I appreciate, appreciate the kindness. And uh, thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Chris. <clears throat> yeah, you're, you're welcome. All right. But I want my money back. Well, you better hope the Broncos win their division this year then. All right. Well, in that case, Chris, I think we did it. Well, no, Steve. Um, we actually uh, we have a commercial from our, our our new sponsors who who keep they keep making new commercials. They, they based keep throwing on money our- at us, and uh, I think they appreciate the content. And I think uh, we've uh, it, it as it happens. A lot of the subjects we cover, they seem uh, to cover under lawsuits. Yeah, they, it, it they, they've, they 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 seem to find a tort. That relates to uh, the subjects we cover in these TV movies. Yeah, and they're making a killing, and they're, they're giving—they're backing up a truck basically over here. So, hmm. Chris, what's wrong? You think? I mean, I heard those guys finished 101st and 102nd out of their class of 102 in law school, but uh, yeah, if they're making money, good for them. And and they've somehow figured out a way to do this, and I'm I'm grateful for their uh, large yes. Okay. Well, uh, uh, are we ready to, uh, you know, close the show? Hey, yeah, sign off. Okay, Chris Morgani, Jim Corhan, I'm Steve Reese. Oscar Oskiwawa. Happy birthday. Tigers. In a row, we did it. Uh... Have you been the victim of a government cryogenic experiment gone wrong? Have you found yourself a political pawn caught between a utopian subterranean society and dystopian surface dwellers? You've been lying down for 160 years. It's time to stand up for your rights. Call us, the law firm of Monganus and Albano, and we'll defend you against governments both present and future. Don't let Joe Biden, the Eli, or the Morlocks push you around anymore. 
And let's not forget those of you who may feel slightly disappointed that uh, at the lack of flying cars, and in return to the tunic-based wardrobe you were all promised in the futuristic fiction of your birth era. You too are entitled to a settlement, or failing that, a written apology, or failing that, this set of Pez dispensers. Display case not included. Contact us, the law firm of Manganes and Albano. Find us on Google, but do not click news, and whatever you do, do not use Yelp.